Hello and welcome to the Broadcast Sport podcast. My name is Jake Bickerton and I'm the editor of Broadcast Sport. This is a recording of a speaker session we held at the Broadcast Sport Content Summit last month at Dot 10 Studios. Right, we've got um, a session now with Whisper, in conversation with Whisper. This is a fireside chat. We don't have a fire, but you can imagine one there, all cosy around the fireplace. Um, why have we got Whisper here for half an hour? I think it's because, you know, they're only 11 years old, and I think it's fair to say, you know, they did shake up the industry. So I think, you know, Whisper are here to talk about the background and how they did that, and then I suppose their position within the sports production industry and their their peers and where they sit in that landscape. Um, they've obviously got a wide range of productions uh, that they work on. Uh, the key ones, uh, some of the key ones being the Paralympics, the Formula One for highlights for Channel 4, cricket coverage for the BBC. But the list goes on and on. And they also uh, work hard to create a diverse workforce as well. Um, but before we start, I'll get the panellists to introduce themselves. Uh, Beth, and maybe you could start on your new job title as well. Yeah, so as of this week, I, I'm Director of Production. Um, so I joined Whisper in the first time in, back in uh, 2014 at the beginning of the year, and I was there for about five years as we went from really quite a small business up. And then I went to Wimbledon in-house uh, as, as they brought in host broadcast and then I returned th- just last year so uh, I was willing to return which normally is quite a good sign <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's great to be here thanks for having us on the platform and thanks for everyone that's in the room uh, I'm CEO and co-founder alongside Jake Humphrey David Coulthard um, and kind of yeah basically run the business run the group so Sunil take us back to the early days and uh, how you formed uh, Whisper in the first place. What, what were you doing before and how did you know David and Jake? Um, well, I was a, an assistant producer at the BBC working on the Formula One and Formula One had just come back to the BBC after a long time away at ITV and, and it was at the time where digital was coming to life, technology was moving on and it was just a great transition point and we, we, we got very lucky with that but we had a great team around us and we created some great content. Formula One had a a real elevation point when it moved to the BBC. Uh, Jake came on as the presenter from Children's. That was a big risk that I think Nar Sloan took. David Coulthard had just finished racing, so he's fresh out of the the sport. And there's just a real sense of change. And I piggybacked on that. And and, uh, a lot of people around me, we created some great content that stood out. Uh, Ironically, the BBC moved the department up to Manchester over the road. I'd said... It's good for me, but uh, I'm, I'm probably not going to go because I'm sort of deep-rooted in the south in London. And myself and Jake in a car park in Monza um, just put our heads together when lots of teams and brands were coming to me personally and Jake to say, look, can you make content for us that you're making for the BBC? And I was like, look, I, I haven't got time. I'm travelling around the world. And then eventually we thought, hang on, why don't we give this a go and why don't we start a production company? And that's where it came. It, it really sort of started from and then David got the hump because we hadn't asked him to join and we were like well why would you want to join two people when the business is worth nothing and you're worth 60 million or whatever it was at the time so um yeah uh that that's how it started and it's it's been a pretty interesting 12 years 11 years and so you you obviously started with the three of you and then we're 11 years later and so what scale are you at now uh, we're at 200, right? Um, which is frightening. 
Yeah. Uh, we're at 200. We've got offices in London, Cardiff, Manchester, and Auckland now. Um, and production that covers sort of all parts of the globe, really. So when you read our newsletter, one minute we're in Puerto Rico filming a, uh, a FIFA project to the next minute we're at a Formula One race or the Caribbean doing the second test that kicks off this afternoon. And Bethan, what changes have you seen, you know, from... The first time you were at Whisper. I think when I, fir- when I first joined Whisper, the main thing was that we were just desperate to get a broadcast commission. That was the background we were from, and I couldn't understand why we, we weren't just doing that straight away when I joined. And, but that takes a huge leap of faith from a broadcaster, and obviously one of the things Sonno and the other founders decided to do was go in, uh, take the Channel 4 growth fund route, and mm. that did, I think, give us uh, that kind of backing and a bit of confidence other people that we, c- that we could deliver. And... and Shortly after that, we got the NFL show was our first broadcast commission, and then from there the F1 and things. And you need that; you need to have one and and to grow in that market. And now, you know, since I've been away, I guess the the interesting thing me, for me returning is much more host broadcast. You know, with a host broadcaster of cricket and New Zealand and West Indies, and that's kind of always been my background as well. But I was interested when Jeff was talking. The other side of it is all the digital contracts we're entering into and the digital production and how that means that by default you just have to have a diverse workforce because you need all that different input and you need people who think differently. So that that is definitely a change I've seen. It was it was it was yeah, it was it was very different rejoining last year from, from when I left. But lots of things are the same. <laughs> it's interesting listening to that last panel, wasn't it, to see just how different an approach you need actually in that digital space. Yeah, it's, it's quite hard-moving, um, experienced people from a TV background, even even within our business where I can kind of impact change pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, to get people to think differently is, is a real challenge because everyone's set in their ways. People don't like change. People think they're the best at what they're doing. But ultimately, we need to evolve or, or that's it. Mm. Um, it's kind of innovate or die, which is what Disney talks about. So uh, I think kind of keeping up and making sure your team is diverse but think differently and you challenge the way you do different things. There's still a place for a premium, clearly, but when you get to digital, there's different ways of producing and you've got to use key people. You can't. We've, we made mistakes, really bad mistakes, where we used broadcast professionals on digital contracts and it just didn't work. Mm. And it was so evident. You, you saw premium content go out on YouTube and they'd be like, oh, that looks glossy. That's great, but it doesn't work. Clearly it doesn't work and it doesn't drive the algorithms and it doesn't engage the kids uh, my kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you, you've got to bring people who consume that content, and can also make it. And with being a sports production company, obviously each each project that you get in is only for that period of time. And but you're growing your company into you know hundreds of people. Is it slightly nerve wracking to know you know when to get people on board as permanent staff and and to sort of you know know that there's going to be that consistency of work ahead. I think, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think we'll have different views, but Bethan... But, yeah, I mean, it is worrying, like, because you, the, the, like we always at the heart of the company's growth and what makes it brilliant is the people you employ. If you don't have good people, then, you know, you, it, it, it's kind of worthless. So getting the right people is so key, but also being honest about what you've got to offer them and, and, and not over-promising and, and all those kind of things are a massive balancing act and knowing how long you can keep people. But also one of the things since I've been back really, really looking at is how to move people around the business. And just because you've worked on cricket doesn't mean your skills can't be used on a completely different contract over here. And that is one of the things we're really looking at and bringing, we're bringing in ahead of people because I think that is an area 
especially in TV sport where the contracts, like you say, are years or months or weeks, mm. um, it's, it's you really need help with and you want to make sure, or I, I feel passionately that I want to make sure that we also help on everyone's career journey. And I think one of the nice things about Whisper is people do leave and come back, like me, but, lo- but lots of other people as well, because sometimes you need to leave to come back because it's, it's part of your journey and I, hopefully we can support that on the way. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of, I suppose, there's a slight elephant in the room with the Channel 4 growth fund. You know, obviously it gave you the, uh, the money and the kind of uh, the, the way of kind of progressing quite quickly, but also... There was suspicion, I think, amongst some of your peers that, you know, you were landing Channel 4 work simply because you had that growth fund. Do you, do you not regret it, but are you, you know, can you... What, what's your sort of feeling of the way... Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think we didn't do the Channel 4 investment for the money. So even though we were quite small at the time, we'd kept a lot of cash in the business. So we, we were quite sort of liquid in that respect, and therefore that meant we could be nimble on hiring very aggressively. Um, the whole Channel 4 investment piece was around the frustration that we were doing a load of branded content for likes of Red Bull, Williams, Hugo Boss, Shell, etc., etc. But we could not land a TV contract. And at the time, uh, there was a couple of major players in the industry that did most of the work. Uh, and they did it very well, but there was just two, really, if we're honest. And uh, my view is if you looked around TV as a whole, you had comedy as a genre or entertainment as a genre, there'd be hundreds of production companies vying, creating a really vibrant um, environment for people to kind of come, uh, challenge each other, um, be competitive on cost and creativity. And in sport, you had two leading the way, and they're doing a very good job. And my view is, I knew I could do it because I'd done it at the BBC. I just needed a bigger team around me. Um, hence, Bethan coming on and various other people. And we just could not penetrate that market. And it was. I remember seeing the article in broadcast, actually, and it was about the growth fund. I thought, I'll send a speculative email to Channel 4. They didn't reply. Uh, and I had a, I still have a policy, like, if I've got an email in my inbox and someone hasn't replied, I'll follow it up within a week or two and just say, look, if you see the mail, at least have a decency to reply. Um, even if it's a no, within 24 hours is at Channel 4 and not really thinking about what I was going in to do. And it suddenly became a dragon's den sort of pitch. And I was like, oh, Christ, this is what I'm thinking. Where's my, where's my numbers person? Um, so I was out of my depth straight away. But I think they saw the passion. And eventually I ended up having a, a very frank kind of make it or break it meeting with David Abraham, who was brilliant, and Martin Baker. And, and Martin, on one hand, said, look, likes of Endermold have tried this and they didn't really make cut, cut through at the time. Um, what makes you think you're going to be able to do what Endemol couldn't? And I said, look, Endemol, great, but they're an entertainment company. Maybe whatever reason it didn't work, but we're not the problem. You're the problem, right? So you've, you've created this environment where you only have two suppliers and you won't take a punt on anyone trying to break through. This is your opportunity to break that. And if you invest in us, then there's going to be a return for you. And I guarantee you we're going to, we're going to make this work. And that was essentially kind of what, what led them to change. And it was, it was all about having Channel 4 with us that gave other people trust. So yeah. our first win, as Bethan said, was actually the NFL. And it was for the NFL and the BBC. Um, so it had nothing to do with the growth fund mm. other than the NFL trusted us because we had Channel 4 as a partner, which meant we weren't going to get kind of, we weren't going to go kind of bankrupt overnight and we would deliver. So, but then when we won the Formula 1, there was a lot of negativity around mm. that. But I'd like to point out, I had produced BAFTA a winning Formula One coverage. Jake had produced and reinvented how to p- present Formula One. 
David Coulthard had won 13 races and had every driver, every yeah. driver on yeah. the dial. People are always going to have a view on that. Yeah. Um, but again, look at what we delivered for Channel 4 um, and continue to deliver for Channel 4. We put the right people in place mm. and that was it. And went very aggressive on who we wanted to hire uh, and brought them in. You mentioned Endemore with the entertainment and you've always pitched Whisperers kind of combining sport with entertainment as being not USP as such, but something you've really focused on. So when did you come about with that strategy? Was that from day one? I, I think the moment came, actually, yeah, it, it came when we did our NFL, first record of the NFL, and we had a uh, pundit called O.C. Amanura who just, he'd come out the sport recently as well, and um, we had a very good NFL presenter and uh, producer in the chair in the gallery, and it was a pre-record, and he was doing a piece by the touchscreen, and it was the most magical piece of TV that I've ever seen in my time. And the director, producer, and PA looked at each other and went, oh, it's 30 seconds over, we can't, can we go again? I was like, no, we cannot. We cannot. I'm not a programme editor, and I wasn't necessarily an exec at the time, but I was like, that is what we're about. That is different. You've got someone authentically telling their story in their own way. And next minute, within a year's time, OC was winning Best Presenter, the show was punching above its weight it was second to match of the day in terms of highlights programs and at that point we started realizing actually the sport will tell its own story mm. whistle to whistle flag to flag tells its own story it's how you package it around and make it engaging to the wider audience your, your core sports fans are always going to come but how do i get my brother who's not a formula one fan to come to it how do i get my wife to come how do i get my partner to come? whoever it may be those kind of peripheral people You've got to make it entertaining and not take it too seriously. Do the serious, like, I remember that show wasn't all about the, the kind of shits and giggles. It was, we did um, the whole Colin Kaepernick taking the knee story, and that, it was like, do the serious stuff really seriously, but then have fun with it. Um, and that's what we tried to yeah. kind of, even how we operate in the office, it's like, Christ, we're in sport. This isn't a job. Like, <laughs> we're getting paid to watch sport. Have some fun with it. Yeah, yeah, there's worse things to be doing, aren't there? Absolutely. <laughs> Bethan, did you want to sort of add anything to that? No, I think the thing with OC was the character came to life and you give someone like that a platform and, and it's amazing to see what happens. But also it is... It's sort of back to it's back to what Jeff was saying. Different people want to see different things, don't they? So the entertainment, someone, you know, my dad doesn't want the chat, the pre-build up, the middle, anything else other than the live sport. But right. that is that is my dad. But whereas someone else will log on and want and want just 20 seconds, and it's all got to be funny or it's all got to be. We have got to try and cater for so many different markets, haven't we? So it's about entertaining and it's trying to find the right balance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll the next question in a second. Don't forget we've got Slido, and I shall have a look at. Any questions coming on that in a sec? But um, diversity as well is something that obviously we've talked about already today um, quite a bit. And again, I think we chatted recently, Snow. Are you saying that 50% of your company is female? Is that right? Yeah, that, that kind of shifts by a percentage point here, so I'm not going to get called out that we're sure, yeah, but 52. Roughly, yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we're pushing 50-50 on gender. And, and I think if you went to entertainment, everyone would go, well done. What's, what's the big deal but actually in sport we all know that there's a real kind mm. of uh, disparity in gender particularly in creative and editorial roles um, so we're really proud of that and that starts right from the top I've, I've sh shifted my management team over the last couple of years to be 50-50 on gender um, and now we're trying to sort of how do we kind of make that work in terms of other marginalised parts of society so my, my kind of absolute dream would be kind of make sure it's ethnically diverse as much as it is can we get a disabled lead into my senior mm. manager that's kind of where I'm going with it because 
I believe that if you can see it, you can be it. Now, we had a runner come in, and he was just the quietest guy you could ever imagine, and he came to my office and said, oh, well, look, no, because I've seen you running this business, it, thought, it meant that I, I could believe to get into the industry, and I think that's really important. We create role models, whether it's kind of lead female creative role models, like we have in Kirsty, who does our Paralympics, uh, to kind of having disabled talent in senior roles and unfortunately there aren't enough at a senior level so we've got to create that next pool of talent mm. coming through so off the back of the Paralympics we created a get involved scheme where we just did a very simple shout out on our social media where we said look if you've been inspired by the Paralympics want to get into TV production um, please can you just get in touch and that was that was on the eve of the closing ceremony. An editor had already worked a 10-hour day. I'd been busy doing the rest of my job, but I ended up going in the edit suite with that editor and saying, this matters, we've got to do this, we've got to leverage the moment. So I think it all was, it's all about needing to come from the top, making it a priority. And that, that's kind of why I think it's been a success. Yeah, and, and we, we chatted on the podcast that we did, but you, and we've still got to do more because quite often you'll put an advert out and you'll just be disappointed that you don't get enough applicants from either female applicants or, or a target market. And so it's all about we've got to think about the wording we use, we've got to think about the language, we've got to think about flexibility, we've got to think about all those things to encourage people into roles. But also we there are some roles, you know, within production that are very, very, very well represented by uh, women, you know, in the production management field. And so I like employing a male production manager. Like, it doesn't mean that it means it's one or the other. It's about having diversity within teams as well. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's great to, to see one, one of our cohorts who came in really genuinely. He, he's got, he went away, he's come back as production manager. He's prod exec. There's not that men. There's not ma- that many in our business in that field. So it's then trying to get that female representation in the director roles, in you know, in the other editorial roles. Yeah. No, so sorry, I was just going to say. I think it's also about partnering with other people. You can't do it alone. Mm. Um, and I've I read kind of on my way in that Buzz are doing a great job with uh, Mummy Youth. Yeah. Kind of. I think I saw a stat about fifty percent. And that's, that's, that's right, unbelievable. Yeah. And then what's interesting is we had really bad experience with Mummy Youth to start with. It would have been really easy for us to say, well, we've tried it and it doesn't really work, but thankfully the team stuck with it and went through it and we've we've had not quite that success, but we're working well with Mummy Youth. But I think there's lots of people that you can partner with um, that we've been fortunate to kind of really help us. We haven't done it all by ourselves. We, we haven't got kind of the secret recipe to doing it. You've got to work with other people to make it happen. Mm. And I know the group Rise, uh, with the trying to go into schools and educate the youth, really, of, you know, whatever gender and... Uh, in the fact that there are these roles in TV that, you know, not only available, there's plenty of sort of vacancies as well, and they need the talent to come through. It seems to be a lack of awareness almost, doesn't there? Yeah, I think so. And in the, I know some of the OB companies have open days. It's trying to make it even mm. bigger, doesn't it? So that they know that these, that, that not just that you can work in telly on, on screen or behind, but ev- all the engineering roles, all, all, the, all the sound roles, all the, all the camera roles, that are a possibility because you just don't really know them until you come in so we're still trying to find more ways and right we're working with rise as well but like finding more ways to show people even what what those chances is chances are and it's it's how it's it's what's the right age you know where should we where should we go and what should we target because there is a shortfall you know in some especially in some areas and so do you go when they're already at college and they've already made that decision but do you also need to be going further down to go before you've picked your college course, let us tell you why you want to pick this one. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so it's kind of having, it's a mixture, I think. Can you have much influence on who's in, you know, the OB truck and the kind of 
the balance of genders and stuff for now, or do you not really get much say in that? We can. We put we put clauses in our contracts to try and uh, encourage that, and and but they, I think there's a lot of buy-in on that side as well. But they, you know, it is hard because if there's a pool of people, you know, they can sometimes push back that there literally is no one available. Yeah. And that's why I have to drive it through the training schemes and have to come up through through their organisations as well. And also, maybe they don't have to have always done sport. They could come from another part of the TV or production world and, and, and bring their skills in and try and encourage them that sport is a place, you know, that they might want to work. Mm. And before we go to questions on Slido, which you, you know, by all means put some on now, I'll check in a minute what we've got. Um, what would you say differentiates uh, Whisper production from any other? <laughs> Relentless. <laughs> um, and I, I think... I mean, it's interesting because production values is at the heart of, of what Whisper stands for and excellence and, and inclusion and those things. But you've got to be nimble, I guess, as well and flexible. So uh, that's kind of when I walk back in it is that is that mix and that flexibility of what, what's going on and what the teams are doing. Yeah, I think that entertainment is everything approach that we, mm. we apply, the diversity we have on screen, off screen to tell stories. So different voices telling different stories creates a different kind of audience um so touching all parts of audience uh i guess sort of being ambitious bold creative diverse relentless and mm. quite hard living at whisper is quite <laughs> fast paced and um right. sometimes you think christ when's it going to stop but um i think everyone loves it everyone you, you like I come back to this is an unbelievable position most of us will work in sport i've got mates my brother's an accountant best mates an accountant the other guy's a sales guy and like you're telling me you're watching the cricket this afternoon you're getting paid for that and I'm like yeah. I'm really sorry you should have worked less at school <laughs> and are things almost back to normal again in terms of sort of the pandemic and you know in your um I think it has, it's changed everything, hasn't it? Because our, our whole approach to being in the office has changed a bit. Flexible working has changed. People's, people's um, expectations about their work life has changed. But in productions, I think it's going more back to normal. But you still have to, even if the rules of, sort of society have changed, when you're in a production, you still need to protect that production. So we're actually still finding we're probably, you know, it's almost like you probably have to put more restrictions on people than now they've got in the outside world. And that can feel quite frustrating but if we halfway through the Paralympics and we lose a whole team then you know we can't produce the show so it's definitely a balance at the moment I'd say yeah it's been a huge challenge I think two years ago pretty much to the day I remember addressing the whole production team the whole company saying look our revenue stopped and what that means is we might not be able to pay you but actually as a business through kind of great kind of practice through sort of Sony and my FD we'd protected the kind of um, financials and we'd paid our way through it in terms of keeping loyal on that but it was quite scary it was it was quite a tough period and uh, thankfully sport came back stronger and quicker than anyone else because of the way the, the federations work and the, the robustness of their protocols um, but I think the power has changed over a period of time the power is so much more with the employee and that swell of flexible working and the requirements that people want having tasted that mm. it's it's made it more challenging for businesses um, and I think whilst we were talking on the train up that whilst flexible working has been great it also comes with its challenges and there's a sense of always on now because people yeah. are working at different times different locations and always wanting an answer yeah. but that might not be how someone else is working 
um, and the flow of information and communication I struggle with. I, I'm someone who walks out of my office and wants to talk to someone straight away and go, I've got an idea, how are we going to do this? Can you do it? Uh, and <laughs> Today. If, if I haven't got the person, if I, I'm not going to pick up the phone. I'm going to go to someone I can talk to. Because for me, it's about people skills and mm. personal kind of relationships. So that's been a challenge, and I found that very hard. But I think we're starting to put systems in place to sort of really kind of future-proof us really right it's also fair to say that other productions all went into production again at the same time not just sport and so there has been it is really hard to get stuff you know i think everyone knows that and thing because it's not you know it doesn't normally happen like that that everyone restarts production at the same time so there there are definitely challenges but also hopefully it means chances for more people to come in because you know there's roles available Actually, um, that Sony deal, what, what does that mean for Whisper? Does it, we, we had a chat briefly, actually, didn't we, a little while back about some opportunities that have opened up through being part of that group. Yeah, uh, it, it means access to kind of the world of Sony, and Sony are one of the, the biggest independent studio. They're, they're platform agnostic. Um, they've got a great management team that supports us. Uh, we've had access to the likes of Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg through their links to their theatrical. We've done link-ups with Sony Music with Tom Grennan, Tom Walker, uh, access to technology through Sony technology. So those those relationships, those areas of Sony that we can leverage are, are just kind of second to none. Channel 4 was great on a domestic level. Sony has tur- turbocharged us to an international level and, and really played into that entertainment as everything um, mantra. Fantastic. We actually have a ton of questions. Um, so I know it's sort of technically lunchtime, but we could do a few of these. Um, right. Um, I'll just go through them in sequence. Uh, you say innovate or die. Do you? Um, <laughs> so you do say innovate or die. That was just for the record, that was Bob Iger. Very, very successful comparison to what we've done. So. Right. He bought Marvel, Star Wars. Etc. Et okay, we can as successful, can't we? Anyway, you say innovate or die. Where is the in- industry pushing to innovate, and where do you think we need to innovate? Uh, a really good question. Uh, innovation has technically, uh, or has historically, in my opinion, has historically been about uh, a box in an OB truck that gives you a bit of technology, and there's a place for that. Like I don't know, Hawkeye did a, it always held up as innovative and the one key piece of innovation that's changed sport. But actually, I think something that I learned from Jay Hunt whilst we were with Channel 4, uh, who was phenomenal to work with, um, innovation can come in different ways. So how you put your talent line up together, what the mix. So we put Steve Jones into the Formula 1. Steve Jones had no idea about Formula 1 and still getting there. Um, but he was an entertainment presenter that bought a different slant. His job was not to tell me about Formula 1. It was about to bring the story to life. He had Mark Webber, Alice Powell, DT, everyone around him to tell that. So I think innovation can come in different ways. doesn't need to be technology. Mm. Um, I kind of praised my Paralympic team on our team meeting just this morning about the closing link from Addy was the most powerful thing I think I've seen this year from us because it was, it was innovative in its strength of challenging society. So it was a piece that you would go, well, it's just a linked piece with a couple of paints jog on it wasn't actually is that the script and how it challenged the russia ukraine story how it challenged why are we having a paralympics in beijing when there's no snow what is this all about um and i thought that was innovative in itself and Mm. powerful whereas i've i've been responsible and worked on many major events where it's at the end it's like oh wasn't this great brilliant we've been in russia for 
four weeks and it's been a great World Cup and you don't actually challenge the issues that are behind it because we're all a little bit frightened but I thought that link was innovative in its way so innovation comes in different ways for me mm. and to me the, I think we've already touched on it but is the innovation challenge for the whole industry about making our output appropriate for all the content channels now you know all the platforms that are available and how you know the next generation are going to watch and like that that in itself <laughs> requires a lot of innovation so to me but there's also lots of you know cool toys we can use and like try and find on the on the road as well um We'll do a few more, if that's right. One more, if that's right. Um, I can't decide then. Uh, which we've got. A, someone's put a thumbs up on one of them, so let's choose that. Um, when producing your content, how do you cater for all audiences you're servicing across TV and digital at the same time and maintain quality and performance? I sort of slightly touched on this already, but um, yeah, I mean, you've still got to... I, I think it comes back to have the right people doing the right jobs, so to make sure you haven't got a, a kind of... Um, legacy kind of historic kind of brilliant program editor doing a digital job make sure you've got your digital people come from a digital background your tv people come from tv and they talk together and they they overlap and make sure there's synergies in terms of how you're working and what the ideas are so you might go off and do one shoot but it's feeding off all this different content to all the different platforms you're working to Okay, we um, have got lots more questions. So if you do have any more questions, I'm sure you guys are sticking around for lunch. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Talking of which, it's at the mezzanine area, and uh, Doc Ten, I think, are going to lead us there. Yep. So, yeah, follow the leader wherever they are. Um, <laughs> but can we have a round of applause first for... Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadcast Sport Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a rating on your podcast app and subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you next time.